Welcome to Afro Leads the podcast. Afro Lead consists of two sisters, myself, Julie and Steph, and we're on a mission to promote UK black business and culture. At present, we share our messages on social media platforms, namely Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, where we create positive posts about black business, groups, communities, celebrities, music and so much more. Today we are joined by Dan Sharif, a king who is a business owner and a man with a passion for community projects in his home city of Leeds. We first became aware of Dan's passion for the black community through a simple WhatsApp group and like many became involved with business conversations, enterprise meetings and supporting black business ventures across the city. Those who know Dan know that it's not always been plain sailing. During his youth, he had a promising career of playing international football, having football scholarships and having many eyes awaiting his professional football career. Unfortunately, an incident in his early 20s led him to spend time in prison. Not wanting this to be his legacy, he spent his time reading and educating himself. It was this study period that carved the foundations of his own gas engineering business. We always find a conversation or an interaction with Dan so enriching so we are very much looking forward to our conversation today. Welcome, Dan. Hey, hey, how are we doing? <laughs> Happy to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, we're really honoured to be here. We do appreciate your time. And it's great to have the opportunity to get to know you a little bit better. I know Steph knows you better than I do. But yeah, it'd be great to delve a little bit deeper into you, the man. So we know that you're Leeds man. Were you born and brought up in Leeds? And yeah. what's your heritage? And do you have any siblings? Yeah, so um, my heritage, my mother was born in Jamaica. My dad was born in St. Kitts. So yeah, I'm dual heritage. I was born here in Leeds, St. James's Hospital. On my dad's side, I have many siblings. So I've got five brothers and six sisters. What? Um, Are you joking? Yeah, I've got, I've got, wow. got a big family, big family. I live in Leeds with my two brothers and younger sister. Um, on my mother's side and then my other siblings are in Manchester, Bristol, one sister's in Canada at the moment working wow. over there so yeah the family's big. Wow. Yeah. We're all close, we're all that tight-knit, we've, no one's ever been left out, do you know, we've, we've grown up and bonded with each other, do you know what I mean? Yeah, well that's lovely. Did your parents meet here? Um, yeah, they met here in England, yeah, when they were younger. What brought them here? I don't know. I know my mum's, my grandma, she came over with my granddad, obviously, found work and then sent for my mum to come over once they kind of established themselves in Leeds. Yeah. Yeah. My dad, my granddad, he was in St Kitts and he came over and then obviously brought his kids with him. I think that's kind of what used to happen back in the days with with the Caribbean. The mm. parents would come over, establish themselves, and then send for the kids. I think that was often an aspiration, but not everyone could do that, could they? Because I've yeah. come across people who they've got siblings that their parents didn't send for or couldn't send for or maybe sent for when those children were like quite adults and mm. it's quite yeah. different dynamics or different relationships yeah, exactly, they yeah. didn't really know their parents. Mm. Or, um, mm. There is, it's quite a feat that, you know, your um, grandparents are able to send for their children. Yeah, it's, it's, it's when you think how it was back then and to know that you, your parents would leave their mum and dad to go and search for, you know, a better life abroad, pack mm. their suitcase, go, have to find somewhere 
then have to find a job, earn enough money to then say, because I think the kids would stay with the grandma yeah. a lot of the time or a, another relative until they'd save up much, enough money to send for the children. So when you I think when you think of it like that, it's like it's totally different to us where I find a lot of people in Leeds are scared to even move out of Leeds. Yeah. You know what I mean? And our parents yeah. were jumping on a on a boat or a plane and heading to a different country. Yeah. Often yeah. quite young, you know, still maybe Yeah, like exactly. Young as well. Yeah. So brave and yeah. But I think I don't know whether it might have been in your grandparents' era, but there is quite a large Caribbean community in Leeds, isn't there? I don't yeah, know whether yeah. um I think there's quite a lot of the Jamaican community in Leeds and um, Saint Kitts and St Kitts as well, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, St Kitts. Nevis. Don't forget Nevis. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I think I think there was a large group of Caribbeans from St Kitts that came and settled in London and happened to set and it settle in Leeds. So, and um, also the Jamaicans as well. So yeah, they all come out at Carnival. We see them all. <laughs> yeah, and we'll be seeing them this year. Hopefully, I yeah. know. Of so course, excited. I can't. Yeah, it's been awful, hasn't it? No, no Leeds, no Leeds Carnival. It's back with a vengeance this year, which is great. Anyway, yeah. back back to you. So we mentioned in the introduction that you were really successful, really talented at sports, especially football as a youngster. How did that come about? How did you get involved in sports and football in particular? I've always been a sporty person. To be fair, I started playing sports from as young as I can remember. Obviously, when I was young, there wasn't much, in. well, there wasn't internet, there weren't much computers. You, you had to be one of the rich kids to have the computer and we'd, we'd all go to their house. So <laughs> you'd, you'd find entertainment through sporting activities and just playing in the streets. Or in, in one day, we could play maybe about 10 different sports. We'd go from cricket to American football, <laughs> to baseball, to then football, to then somehow we'd have a milk crate and hang it off the wall and play basketball. So Oh, that's very inventive. <laughs> yeah, we'd find a we'd always find a way. We'd yeah. um we used to build um used to get do you know the the little trolleys that your grandma would would push around and yeah. carry the shopping in. Yeah. Yeah, we it's- used to find broken ones of them um build like little go-karts, take the wheels off them. They used to be called bogies. In Leeds, they call them bogies, but I don't know what they call anywhere else. So we'd, we'd build wheels on each one, wood on each stick, and then we'd have a rope which would steer. So that oh, would wow. be our little that would be our little go-karting and stuff. So we'd we'd always find a way. As youngsters, we always found a way. And then going through school, I just continued playing sports. I could have chose between boxing, basketball, or football growing up through school and I chose football just because my family is a football orientated family so mm-hmm. it just became the norm. Are you still involved in sport now? Yeah I'm still involved in sport now. Recreational I, I've started back at kickboxing because I just enjoy the training and the discipline mm-hmm. and that. I still play football for the local team which is Chapel Town and yeah I help out when I can and still you know representing for the community whenever that needs to happen whenever called upon should I say that's amazing mm. and when we say that you were successful if you can just give us a quick synopsis because I'm I've, I know from our previous conversations 
you were really, really, really good at football. So just give us a, an idea as to, you know, what does that mean and what were you doing when you were at the peak of... Um, yeah, to say it quickly, I went through school, had schoolboy forms, played briefly for Leeds City Boys, came out of school, went to college, studying diploma in sports science. Then I ended up getting trials for Halifax Town, who was a professional outfit at the time. Played for them for a year and a half. While I played for them, I got scouted to play international football for St. Kitts and Nevis. Amazing. I ended up, I ended up um, getting flown out on a, on a flight. Me and a few English players also got scouted from around the country. So there was me from Leeds. There was two guys from and one player from London. So nice. we all ended up on the same player. This was 1998. That was eight. Flew to St. Kitts and Nevis and represented the country in the Olympics, under 23s Olympics. So yeah, we represented St. Kitts and Nevis. We played against Jamaica. So oh, Jamaica wow. came and played. <laughs> Jamaica came and played us in St. Kitts. And then we yeah. flew over to Jamaica and played them in Jamaica's national arena. So that was wow. a crazy experience. Oh, awesome. That's basically like a, a local derby, country mm. derby. Mm. Yeah, so man. They used to call us the soccer boys and they were the reggae boys. Nice. And yeah, it was it was the best experience ever because we went there. We Accommodation was free, free food. We were trekked like celebrities. Well, no, in fact, we wasn't trekked like celebrities at first. When we first got there... I'll try to say this quickly, but we first got there and we got put in our villas and then we went down to the town centre just to look around. Mm. You know, four international players have been drafted over to help the national team do well. And the locals were kind of looking at us and they were shouting, go back to England. We don't need no English players over <laughs> no! here. And we're like thinking, yo, yeah, we're here, we're here to represent and the same kids locals were like, we don't need no English, go back to England. We don't need no players, oh, what are you doing here? So we're like, oh, right, okay. <laughs> but confidence in your ability and yeah, it's like you haven't even seen us play yet. So mm. when we played, the Senkit Stadium was absolutely full because obviously mm. you've got Jamaicans in Senkit. So mm. it, the stadium was just full of our own people. It was basically like a huge, massive event carnival. And I think we... I don't know if we drew, did we drew to all? I think we drew to all. Um, so then we had to go to Jamaica to play the next mm. leg. But after that to all game, we went back into the centre the day after. And it was like, yes, we need more English. We need more English. <laughs> and all of them were cheering us and saying, yo, do you want a drink? Do you want this? So, yeah, it just shows, oh. the, you know, the mentality where there was yeah. very territorial. Yeah. Until they felt like, do you know what? Yeah, you lot can actually help us. You yeah. won't have ours now. You won't have ours. So, yeah. It was... had, had you been to St. Kitts or Jamaica before? I, that? I, had, I hadn't even been abroad. I, I oh, remember my... playing. I remember playing football and I got a call saying, oh, you've been scouted for St. Kitts and your flight is on Saturday. You need to be on a flight on Saturday. Wow. This was a, this was a, this was a Wednesday. But I didn't have a passport or nothing. I hadn't been abroad. So I had to quickly drive down to Liverpool, get an emergency mm-hmm. passport, get all my stuff ready. They said, you need to be at Heathrow Airport for this time. So I've just jumped on a coach, 
waved off all my family. Oh, but that's so down to Travel down to Heathrow, following all the signs. Where do I go? What terminal? Oh. Yeah, it was it was a mad experience. And you were 18 at the time? I was 18 at the time, Gosh, yeah. that's crazy. What an experience. Yeah, I mean, amazing introduction that you got to go to both sides both, of your head. Exactly. Yeah. How did it make you feel when people call you English? Did you identify or do you, did you identify then as being English well, that was, a, that was the massive culture shock because I've gone over there thinking, St. Kitts, I'm here to represent St. Kitts. Like, I'm one mm. of you guys. Mm. And the first interaction with the actual St. Kitts people quickly told me, yo, you're not from St. Kitts. <laughs> you're not one of us. Do you know what I mean? Until yeah. you appreciate yourself and show us that you're one of us. Mm. You ain't one of us. We don't want you here. And it, imagine getting told to go back to your own country when you're in England from a white person. Mm. You're kind of like, what? Who are you talking to? But then to go to St. Kitts and get told to go back to England because we don't want you here. Imagine. That's crazy. That was a massive culture shock, really. But then you kind of realise that, you know, some of these people, they live a certain way. And Mm -hmm. like I said, the territorial, not educated in that Mm -hmm. sense as to to be open-minded do you know mm. what I mean? So, yeah. I don't... It is crazy. I mean, when we were younger, when we went to Ghana, it's, it's similar. It's not exactly the same experience, but I remember... Yeah, we've not represented Ghana, unfortunately. We've not represented <laughs> Ghana in any sport. You could do um, if you wanted to. <laughs> we could do. We're available if you're listening. <laughs> yeah. I remember going to church and we're all dressed in our kente cloth. And I remember thinking, oh, I feel like really like Ghanaian. I feel really like, like no one could tell us apart. But I remember my cousins having conversations and saying, oh, everybody knows that you're from the West, you're from England. And I remember thinking, how can they spot us? And even just little things like the way you walk, obviously our accents and how we talk, et cetera, would, would give the game away. But yeah. for me, I remember thinking like, nobody would be able to call me out in Ghana because I look exactly the same as everybody here. So the, the subtleties that people could say that I was English or not from there, which I found it really confusing. It was the first yeah. time I really, and I was still quite young, it was the first time I actually questioned, like, what, wh- where do I fit? Because I'm obviously, when I'm in England, I'm not, I don't look like, obviously, white English people. But when I'm in Ghana, I don't look like my people either. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. So bizarre. Yeah, it is a bit bizarre, definitely. So you've had this amazing career. I'm glad you went into it because when I say success, successful football career, like it's it, it, it sometimes it's like a flash in the pan. You don't really realise how young and how successful you were and how amazing your experiences were. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah. So you were having all of this amazing like attention and being flown internationally and naturally people being really impressed by your skills and talents, which is incredible. And then you had an incident obviously led you to prison. Could you... Or do you mind showing what happened? Um, yeah, yeah, I don't mind. Um, obviously, at the time, it was a shock to be called up for international football, and it was all a whirlwind. It happened so quick, and I've come back to back to Leeds after an amazing experience, and knowing that there could be many more of this. Mm. But um, at the time, I think I was I was in with a certain crowd, so I was started like selling drugs to basically to provide for my football career because obviously you need to travel all over the country you need you need the right kit you need the right everything and obviously at that time I didn't have that so 
this was a way of earning money and being able to provide for myself, not after pester my mum for anything who I knew could not provide the stuff that I needed mm. to make it. So I was like kind of providing for myself. Anyway, ended up getting caught with drugs on me, getting charged with possession with intent to supply. So at the time I'm thinking, okay, I've, I've never been in trouble before. It's my first time. Hopefully they're going to understand that, you know, this thing is in our area. It is quite normal to other people. It's not, and it shouldn't be normal, but it is normal in our area where it's like, okay, how can I make money? Oh, I'll just sell this, make that and whatever. But um, I've come back from St. Kitts with this charge kind of pending, um, but still getting on with my football and just kind mm. of putting it to the back of my head and hoping when the time comes, it should be all right. So I've gone gone to court, got loads of references and all that. At the time, I had Berry FC. They was a professional football club who was actually looking at me at the time. So they actually wrote me a reference to the judge and was like, look... Um, We've seen him play. We're very interested. And if you do spare him a jail sentence, you know, we're, we're looking to offer him some sort of contract or whatever else. But anyway, went to court and the judge was just like, look, it is a serious crime. I understand you're doing well in your football career, but I'm going to have to give you a custodial sentence, which I had to accept. It was either I might get a custodial, I might not. In the end, I ended up getting a custodial sentence. So I just have to, I just had to go with it and hope that once the sentence is finished, I can kind of get back on track. Um, which is difficult because you've got like a a little stigma behind you now. Do you know mm. what I mean? Mm. Certain places where doors might have opened because of a criminal record. And drugs and, you know, a young guy from Chapel Town Leeds, it kind of sticks with you. Mm. So then you're up against different obstacles that I was up against maybe before. Do you know what I mean? Mm. But yeah, it's just something that I had to kind of just get my head around and deal with. So when I went into prison... Obviously, it became apparent I was good at football quite quickly after probably the first sports session that were done. And um, yeah, I ended up getting trials while I was in there as well. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Um, because you, you get you get teams that come in and they'll look and say, all right, we're, we're bringing our team in to play a team of, of inmates. And, you know, they ended oh, up really? being like a trial in there. Yeah, so that was all right. But I guess because of the length of my sentence, I'd more or less just gone in. So I had a period to serve before I'd, I'd really be able to go anywhere. Right. You know what I mean, but it was nice to know that even though I was inside, we had a trial and there was a club, which was Sheffield Wednesday at the time, that were like, oh, we, we would take him. If, if he was coming out in within the next four months, we would have happily, you know, take him on a, on a proper trial. But I think I had over 12 months to to serve um so I just had to do my time first but yeah eventually um got out and it was just a build back build back the the football career really which is kind of what I've done 
did a few courses in there which is always important try to yeah. take advantage because the courses are free in there so as many as you can do for me as many courses and education you can do you might as well because you're not doing nothing else mm. um and just just my aim was just to maximize the time that I had as much as possible mm-hmm. and, and try to turn it into a positive so in my mindset I switched and just said you know what I've I've done a national diploma at college when I came out of school. So I'm just going to see this as college and Mm. I'm just living on campus. And that was my mindset. And that's what kind of helped me get through and just be positive. Like, yeah, I'm just living on campus, my college, and I'm going to just grind out as many courses and training as I can, really. That's really powerful. Did that come from like you only or did some of like elders speak that into you that to say like obviously it's not the outcome on that we wanted for you with the the trial but see it this way or, or was that just purely something within for you to kind no, of I think I think with me I've always been a positive person I, I can't I can't function around negativity and doom and gloom and all of that mm-hmm. I, it's hard for me to function do you know what I mean because I'm an outgoing lively person so any situation I always try and take a step back and find some positive in it mm-hmm. and when I do find it that's what I hold on to do you know what I mean so it yeah. that's just how I've been I've always been like that I think that that comes across I think from when I first met you consistently you've always been that positive person whether it's about again like you say stepping back or um just regrouping or you know finding somebody else who can maybe find a positive and you can align somebody else's sort of dream or picture I think that's something that's a real it's a credit to you because it's infectious as well which is why you're so fundamental in the black business group in Leeds I think so we're we're really lucky to have you as kind of steerhead I think that's really important so you were so you obviously put your head down you you knew in your head that you wanted to try and get the positive out of the situation was there any time in there where you were sh- I don't know shaken or where you thought actually I don't know there was more temptation to kind of drop things and to just maybe take the easy path shall we say as opposed to the what is sometimes always the the harder path which is maybe something that's a bit more rewarding yeah I think I think there's always temptation as you're growing up temptation is always around every single corner mm-hmm. I think that's the battle we are fighting because no one wakes up one day and just says oh I want to go do this that's bad I want to do that it's temptation that can kind of like yeah that's the easy road left or do I take the hard road right sometimes you take the easy road and it, it doesn't really do you know what I mean you, mm. you end up a crop or sometimes you take the easy road and mm. You might slide through and think, oh, yeah, I was lucky there. You mm. know, maybe, maybe the easy road is okay. So I think, I think temptation is always there. Yeah. Um, it takes, it takes certain experiences and then it takes your something to click for your mindset to then change to say, even though I know that's the easy way, even though I know I could get this, that, and the other from that way. I'm not going to go that way because in the future, it's, it's not going to be, you know what I mean? It's not going to be the best route to take. Mm. But until something clicks, mm-hmm. then that won't happen. You're still going to be 
kind of um, dabbling in temptation and taking the wrong route here, taking the right one there. But yeah, I think for me, once the penny drops, mm. then you know where you stand and you know that, you know, it's thinking about later on in life rather than immediate riches and, yeah. and material things. Yeah. yeah. Totally agreed. I think for, to get that mentality at that age as well, it's rare because I think most of us come to understand that sometimes the harder route is the better route. And you get that with age. I think sometimes you have to fall a few times to understand yeah. that that's probably the right way to do it. But yeah, yeah, to have yeah. that mentality at that young age and in, in that environment as well, which like you said, there's probably been quite a lot of temptation. That's that's really remarkable, I think. Yeah. Really yeah. remarkable. And I think it's a bit Russian roulette in the sense that some people, like you say, you've got to fail a few times, but some yeah. people's failures are massive. True. And it's hard to get back from them. And some and not as big and you just can quickly learn from yeah. from them setbacks do you know what I mean because yeah. you know I know I know people that have probably took the same road as me but their what's happened to them has been you know like way worse than me it is kind of look at the draw it could have happened to anyone but it happened to that person so I guess Sometimes, yeah, it's kind of look at the draw where you, you have these failures and you can you can bounce back from them. You know what I mean? Yes, no, I mean, you're better just than I am. But I think you've got to give yourself credit because I don't think it's just luck. But I think it's more than that. There's some fortitude within you that has turned it around. So you're a successful multi-business owner, you know, like you, and, and to even think of, being in prison is an opportunity to become as educated as you can like to just not everyone would take it that way yeah um, I know that yeah or so yeah I think it, it there's a lot it says a lot about your character that you were able to ultimately make lemonade out of just the, the lemons and also I think lots of us face disappointments in life or maybe your life doesn't quite work out how you thought it was going to be when you were 17, 18 years old. Mm -hmm. But you've not let that disappointment or that kind of change in path kind of derail you. Because you're thriving and also you're giving back to the community, whereas it could have been a completely different story as well. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's remarkable. You've got to, I'm just basically saying you've got to give yourself credit because not everybody in a similar situation would have the same outcome mm. Mm. it doesn't take a compliment well down oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no probably not <laughs> so do you like being your own boss being a business owner is that something that you envisaged yeah I think I'm quite a free spirit and obviously building my first business and understanding that you're in control of everything you're doing I think for me that's priceless for some people, they do need the guidance and being told what to do. And they'll just excel when they know what it is they need to do. But I don't think I function well in terms of being told what to do because I, I think I'm the type of person who I would I would work for you, but while I'm working for you, I'm watching how you're running the business because my aim is to to run a similar business. Do you know what I mean? My aim is yeah. not to just continue to work for you. Mm. It's looking how you're doing it 
what you're doing, what's working, what's not. Put my own twist on it because my aim is to to do the same thing somewhere else. So I probably would always have had my own business at some stage anyway. Mm. Yeah. That's exciting. I think that's, again, I think that's something that's in certain people. Mm. So I think, and also I was listening to a podcast where it was about defining what a manager was and what a leader is. And somebody who manages has you know, got those skills where they can deal with people. Whereas someone who's a leader is somebody who has a, a, a vision and can influence people to believe in that vision and get there. Yeah. And I think it links into my next question to you, which is about the sort of the black community and how you kind of drive a lot of the black businesses forward in terms of setting blueprints and just showing how important legacy is and working together. You, know, you were the first person that actually explained the Black Pound to me, essentially, as well. So could you kind of give us an, an introduction as to what you do within the Black community and how it all started? Wow, how long have we got? <laughs> I, could, I could go on forever with this. I'll try to cut it down. I've always been passionate about our Black community and uh, looking at how our mindset is. Because when I did the sports diploma, we also did psychology and all mm-hmm. that. So we, we did right. touch on a lot of psychology on that course. So I'm, I am very into psychology and how people think and all that. And it just used to baffle me, the fact that we've got so much talented individuals mm-hmm. like in our area that we, we're not making the most out of. And then through, obviously, you're reading and you kind of understand what we were before slavery, because everyone tries to start Black history from slavery days. But Black history started way before that. And there's a reason why everyone starts from the slavery days, because if you go before the slavery days, you were going to see a totally different view of Black kings and queens Mm. to what society want you to know. So once you kind of realize what we were before slavery it just inspires you to say we can be that we you know we can get to even if we get anywhere near what we were do you know what I mean we're gonna be massively successful and yeah we are getting pegged back and pushed back by the powers that be that don't want us to kind of excel in that sense and want to you know hide a lot of the history that would inspire people but the message is coming out that the information is coming out it's easier to access information so mm-hmm. now that it's a lot easier to access the information and there are people that understanding the same as me and you it's kind of like you know what we're getting more and more of a following of people mm-hmm. that know what we can be so I think with the black community the idea of the black business group that I created I used to go and do jobs for a lot of people in the community and what what they always used to say the first thing is I didn't know you was a gas engineer if I knew I just I just paid British gas 250 pound to change my bath taps and I'm like yeah do you know what I mean this is me this is what I do like because we were quite private we are quite private we're extravagant in material things but you know when it comes to you know saying oh yo I'm this I'm that Mm -hmm. and speaking good about ourselves even though I do it myself you kind of like you don't want to feel like you're bragging too much Mm -hmm. because your bragging kind of feels like someone else's downfall kind of thing like 
you say you're this, someone else will be like, well, who do you think you are? Why do you think mm. it's so good? Or it makes them feel like they're not worthy. So I think that's the mentality of black people. So I think for me, I just wanted to get a group together where as much entrepreneurs in the community as possible could come together and just see what everyone does. And, you know, once I put the first flyer out to say we're going to have a networking meeting, it Mm. just got bigger and bigger. And then when you see the amount of individual entrepreneurs we have just in the community, we could go further out to surrounding cities, Bradford, Huddersfield, you know, but just in the community, it's like, wow, look what Mm. we've got here. It's unreal. It is amazing. Yeah, we just kind of expanded from there, really. So I wonder what came first. Did it start as the Black Business WhatsApp group or did it start as kind of a physical group? It started as a networking meeting where we all get together and people can just swap business cards, see what each other does and see how we could come together on community issues it kind of just started like that really and, and when did it start because I remember coming to a meeting before Covid everything's before Covid we'll have to go um yeah. maybe was it 29 I think so 2019 and it was great to be there because it was really motivational you hear finding out about local business people but then it was just so encouraging to hear their stories and journey and also supporting the community by hosting it in like no I've been to two there was one in a, a cafe, community centre and one community. in a cafe yeah. Well. so yeah so sorry I even forgot my own question when, when yeah. was it my question was when did you start uh, it? um was it like 2016 the, the first one I did was oh, 2016 okay. um was, coming. was it was it 2017 2016 or 17 right. I did the first one which was up at Prince Phillips and I know the chairman and that of Prince Phillips and I just went to him and says look we need somewhere where we can you know get people together I was doing work with CYDC at the time as well which I CYDC is Chapel Town Youth Development Centre which is based up at Prince Phillips right a lot of sports and education okay all of that it's managed by Lutel James and Will Bowler Okay. So I remember speaking to them and just saying, look, will we be able to use the residents on whichever day people can do? And they was up for it from the get-go. As soon as I, I kind of showed them my idea and what I was thinking, they were just like, yeah, you can free a charge, you can use the building whenever you need it. Just let us know, <laughs> give us advance notice. And I was just like, okay, that's fine. So we've got a building. Now it's a matter of getting the word out there. Yeah. And once we got the word out there, it was just like... Yeah, there were so many people that were just happy, but it wasn't just for entrepreneurs. It was more as well for those people who were thinking about starting a business, but Mm -hmm. so scared as to where do I start? What do Mm -hmm. I do? So if you've got established business owners and then people who are thinking of starting a business all together, then everyone can kind of, you know, learn off each other and get Mm -hmm. advice and, you know, you're able to, to speak to people and say okay how where do I start if I want to start at, um I don't know I want to work in a gym or whatever there's someone who's already a instructor that's got his gym that'll be able to say look this is what you do these are the things you're going to need because everyone thinks to start a business you need a business plan and this that, but you don't always need a business plan yeah it is good to have a business plan because then you can you you know exactly what you want but 
you can start things bit by bit because some people starting from the business plan stage don't go beyond the business plan because it can be a bit daunting. Yeah. You know what I mean? They stop there. They just get stuck there on the business plan and never go any further. So it's showing people that you can start a business gradually mm-hmm. and still be successful and build it as you go along. Yeah. You know what I mean? And as many great businesses have, you know, they've started out like that. They've not yeah. had, you know, strategy. Yeah, necessarily. And it's great that you, you've created a network of peer support mm-hmm. and representation just, yeah. as well. That's the one thing I, as soon as I got into that, the room it was very much a case of and I'm you know, personally I do think I'm the type of person that I once I'm there I can motivate myself but I think even if on my down days you can just look in that whatsapp group or you can be in a room of people and these are local people as well these aren't people that you feel so detached from that are from London or from America what these are they, they live in the LS postcode yeah. so they're all local and you can really see yourself in you know succeeding just being surrounded and listening to what they've got yeah. to say as well which I think is really important so I'm a big fan of the group massive fan and anytime I meet someone I'm always like Dan I've got a number for you add them to the group <laughs> yeah it's one of those and I, uh, you know I remember reading Summer and saying it's the people you surround yourself with mm-hmm. yeah one of the most important decisions you make in your life so if we can surround ourselves with like-minded entrepreneurs some that are very very successful some that are just starting out some that Mm -hmm. are two years in if we can surround ourselves with them sort of people it only can make you better and the reason for the group as well especially the meeting up because you're in the group yourself but it's the energy that positive energy is infectious and because of covid we haven't been able to have much meetings and that and i think that's kind of what has kind of lacked within the group and a bit of some people's enthusiasm where they're not getting that positive energy from each other because like he says you step into one of those meetings you walk into the room and you feel energy yeah I mean you pass on energy you feel energy and I think that's massively important I'm looking forward to the next one actually because like you said I think it's when you're face to face regardless of what issues you might be going through in your business or what I mean sometimes even conversationally you just pick up a nugget of gold you know in terms of oh, actually I've yeah. not thought about that exactly. for example we went to your one at the Prince Philip Centre and we were thinking yeah. about how do we collate all of the different posts that we post and make it easy for people to find let's say things for clothes or things for you know um, gifts for men or you know, hair and beauty. And somebody that we were speaking to was a lady called Rhonda, wasn't it? Who said, why don't you use the highlight reel on your Instagram and just so people can flick through and see all your previous posts. And I just thought, if I hadn't come here today, that simple conversation would never add so much value to our users. I just thought it was amazing. So I've only been privileged to come to two of those and learn something amazing from each of those sessions. So I can't wait for the next one, to be honest. And that's the thing. It's like, for me, you're one conversation away from being very successful in whatever you're doing or you won't contact away from being a millionaire it's all about who you know in it and yeah and how you interact with people and like you say that one little nugget can be the defining thing and it might not be me that gives you that nugget it might be someone who's just come to the meeting for the first time as well so mm-hmm. you've come for the first time they've come for the first time everyone else has been there for two years but your two conversation has just 
sparked something that's just like set you clear. So it's massively, it's important. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah, it is. And it's great. I didn't realise it had been such a, a long run, running established network and community. You know, it'll go from strength to strength and then hopefully you'll be able to meet in person again soon. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because, yeah, even though we've got the technology and stuff, there's no substitute for face-to-face. Is that it's often the conversations in between sessions or whatever, when you're getting refreshments. Yeah, uh, exactly. The men, yeah, the ones. like connection yeah definitely so it's sort of like come to the point in our podcast to ask you the melanin magic question if that's okay <laughs> and just to remind you that is what are your hopes and dreams for black british culture in the next five to ten years and do you have any insight or ideas on how we're going to get there mm, i think we need to as black people remember where we've come from remember who we are i know it's hard to say but let's not try rely on handouts from different cultures because everything we need we have within yeah but I don't think a lot of people realize this so for me it's massively a mindset thing the more Mm -hmm. mindsets that can be changed the more people that can unlearn everything well a lot of the things they've they've learned and you know, realise that circulating the black pound is the only thing that's going to set us literally free by spending with each other, working with each other, not being jealous, losing our egos, which is probably the most important thing for me that I've noticed throughout this journey. I think it's it's egos that set us back, which is fair enough because everybody has a certain belief of themselves and you know whatever but if we can do that I think it could be massive we can go strength to strength we can build our own banks we can build our own communities we can you know circulate our money the point the fact that we're one of the biggest spenders in terms of finance and everything else but we are on the bottom of the list when it comes to circulating the money within our own community it just shows you do you know what I mean we get paid and give it back to the person who paid us. Mm. We could easily let that money circulate a few times within our community so everybody gets paid. Mm. And then when it goes out, it comes back double. That's the mindset I'm thinking. Once we can grasp that and get that ball going, I think it's going to be amazing. Powerful. It'll be so powerful. And I think the more people that learn that, like like you said, that mindset, and I suppose at a younger age as well, will be even more instrumental as well in sort of changing the whole concept of the black community the black pound because yeah if I knew and had these conversations when I was a lot younger I think I'd be in a much better position I think we all would be in a much better position and situation I think and we'd be able to support each other much more I love the word that you said unlearn I think the older you get it's harder to unlearn and unpick these things so again getting getting the younger generation to get it yeah you know really great in terms of seeing quick results as well Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. yeah. And do you think it's starting? I do think things are shifting and changing and that people are being more intentional about where they're spending money and who they're yeah, spending. Yeah, it's definitely. It's, I've, I've seen the change myself. It's definitely changing and it's making a difference. But I guess we just need more people. It's, yeah. it's a bit like what's happening with the government now. The gas prices are going up. And if we as a country was to understand that, it's us that control the economy, how we spend controls the economy, which is a reason why the government through 
you know, bounce back loans in and everything and blew up the economy because they need us to spend for the country to run. I mean, if the whole country was to stop spending for two days, then they would have to do something which mm. would bring down the prices so it's affordable for people to spend. But that's on a bigger scale of everybody yeah. in the country. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you can affect things if you make big moves in big crowds. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. everything has a shockwave. You can you can throw a stone into a river and it's going to cause a, a ripple. And this is, this is the mindset we kind of need to be thinking that. I think everyone thinks, oh, well, what what is me not spending tomorrow going to really do? But what is everyone not spending tomorrow yeah. going to do? That's the, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's it's hard to get everyone thinking on the same wavelength. But it is slowly, we're slowly getting there, and I'm confident that we're getting there. Yeah. It's frustrating when people are not moving as quick as you want, but yeah. it's happening. I believe it's happening. Yeah, I think so. I think social media has helped. I know there's the good and bad things with social media, but I think the technology in general obviously does help get the message out quicker. And things like Black Pound Day, for example, you know, ge- exactly. genius. You know, genius. you can def- you can definitely see that. But if, if, if one idea can promote, you know, that one day a month, there's there's other days. It shouldn't just be one day in yeah. a month whereby we're all focusing on 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 spending that Black Pound. There's it should be kind of like the intentional sort of go to I think really but it'll take well, time I mean I mean let's say we change that to once a week instead of once a month do you know there's some yeah. individuals entrepreneurs just normal people who would end up being able to pay the bills for the next month just because of this black pound day once a week mm. do you know what yeah. I mean it has a massive effect as much as people probably don't think it does it does have a massive effect and, yeah. and you just kind of need to keep believing that that one little gesture is massive on a whole scale. It's exciting though. I think yeah. if I had this conversation with you about three years ago, I would probably be thinking, gosh, there's, there's so much to do and how are we going to get there? Yeah. But I think obviously we've had obviously 2020, George Floyd, now Black Pound Day and lots of mindsets and have shifted. Lots of attention have been brought to the black community. Again, some of it performative, some of it a little bit more, you know, secure. But I do think, like you said, it's, it provides hope, I think, more than anything. I, I think, think if, we, if we was left to just do what we're doing as a black community, it would happen quicker. But mm. from my experience, and this is just my experience, I, I see that when things like this start happening, it gets noticed by society and they yeah. start putting blockers in the way because obviously let's face it they do not want this to happen mm. do you get what I mean so mm. before you know it they start putting in distractions do you know what I mean to take you away from the goal so we set goals we set targets and it starts working and all of a sudden it's like whoa these lot are uplifting yo we need a distraction what what mm. distraction can we have and if we were just left without the distractions I think we'd be way further in this journey Mm. but the distractions are what kind of cloud people and then make you doubt yourself and doubt what you're doing and that's a difficult thing for me anyway that is a difficult thing like you see something happening and you see distractions and you're like look they're on to us 
they run in it you know what i mean they run to us so we need to we need to ramp it up but then you know sometimes that don't happen and you end up taking two steps back i'm very hopeful and i think our leads group is really very lucky to have somebody like yourself at the forefront you're so full of like positive vibes you're very experienced you are really enthusiastic and you're always you're so chilled as well I think just as any passionate group of people are there can be quite heated conversations at times <laughs> you're always Mr chilled like okay I can completely see what but let's bring it back to business let's bring it back to the black pound and I just think Joe, you know that's a really nice trait to have as a lead, you know the leader and the visionary of our group so I'm really I'm really chuffed that like, we're part of it but obviously that, that you come on the podcast as well so people other people can hear your voice mm. as well yeah, I'm glad, man. I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad um, what you two are doing is absolutely amazing. When I first met you, Steph, and I was just like, yeah, this is amazing. I got oh. I got a call. I was like, yo, you need to meet this. Oh, the great <laughs> Afro leads doing amazing things. And I'm like, what? what? Yeah, I said, yo, we need to get this link going. And if that's the case, let's do this. And yeah, it was just one of those where we were just on the same page, do you know, yeah. what was missing in what you lot wanted was kind of like, okay, I see what you lot want and we've got it here. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And what I was not seeing in some of the things that was happening, I saw directly from what you guys were doing and the uplifting of black people and black businesses and promoting people. And it was just like, yo, these are our stars. So yeah, it was just... Oh. Dad, that's so lovely. Thank you. Yeah, we do. We do enjoy it, and yeah, thank you for that feedback. So, how can our listeners get in touch with your product, your business, and get involved with the Black Business Group? Should they qualify? Well, the Black Business Group, if they are on your Instagram or any followers, and they want to join the Black Business Group, yeah, we're based in Leeds, but we have businesses that are in the group from all over because. any kind of positive information, feedback, networking is good for the group. Like I said, you you one conversation or one contact away from being successful. So, you know, you can get their details and like you have been doing, add this person to the group. <laughs> and I might be so busy, I might not add them straight away, but I will add them to the group. We, we invite you to introduce yourself to the group and tell us what you do. And then, yeah, we just spread positivity as much as possible. I'm also a gas engineer for anyone who's in the Yorkshire area. That's my business, doing boiler installs, boiler repairs, bathrooms cookers gas fires anything to do with plumbing and gas and we cover that that's not a problem we've also got what's that business called please it's content plumbing and heating so google content plumbing and heating um and you'll get me on there or you can email me at info at content plumbing and heating.co.uk that's the that's the gas business i've also got a joint business with three people from the black business group as well as myself so we came together to show that you know as entrepreneurs we can come together and buy property not only property the aim is to buy land buy property renovate to rent out or renovate to sell and also buy commercial businesses. So one of the projects we started with was buying a commercial business, 
which is a tea room based in Leeds City Centre, LS1. It's in Grand Arcade, which is a very famous arcade in Leeds, right next to the Grand Theatre. We sell afternoon tea, sandwiches. We sell 30 different types of herbal teas. 30? Um, oh my gosh, I'm yeah. there. <laughs> the, the, the herbal teas are amazing. There's all different flavours and choices and yeah it's unreal and it's a very vibrant arcade and the atmosphere in the tea room is just nice we've got it vintage it's called just grand vintage tea room so inside there would basically resembles your grandma's um dining room should i say so with all the cloths and the the clocks and the ornaments and you know the the neck curtains and mm. If you picture your, you know, your normal grandma's vintage room back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, mm. kind of how we've done it out to make it a nice, relaxed atmosphere where you can go and enjoy afternoon tea. If you'd have asked me when I first started the business group, if I would ever own an afternoon tea business, I would have said, nope. <laughs> <laughs> I would have said, nah, what, what? but... You know, it was an opportunity that came along and it's been a success so far. You know, so, you know, long may it continue. And like I said, we've now created a blueprint for the business group. The business group has over a hundred individual different black businesses within our group. Mm. So it creates a blueprint to show the rest of the group, look, this is what's possible. Mm. This is our aim. This is what we want to do. And we want to acquire more land. We want to buy more properties together. We want to buy more businesses. We want to mm. buy more commercial properties and rent them out. And that's how you kind of start. Love it. Start the Black Palm rolling. And I, I think it's it's happening because there's a few other groups that have come together within our Black business who have gone and they've done different business ventures as well, which mm. we'll probably find out when we have our next working meeting. Mm you'll see that there's a lot of people now coming together. So when I see it happening, I'm just like, yes. Yeah, it's beautiful <laughs> to see. It is. Hopefully, as you say, you don't know the ripple effects of these things because that's happening in the group. But what, if they've got friends and family watching that, that might not be in the group, they might be inspired to do something similar. Yeah. For the children yeah. watching yeah. the parents, I think as well. Like kids yeah, are so exactly. observant, aren't they? So to see their, their, their mum, their dad or whatever, working with other people, you know, family members or other friends, etc. I think that's powerful as well. You don't have to go to, you know, university or college or whatever to go and work for somebody else. You can, you know, build your own business, which I think is really powerful. Absolutely. And when it comes to properties, because of the amount of trades people we have within the group as well, we we basically we basically got a team to build houses within that group. Yeah. If, oh, if wonderful. Put everyone together. We have actually got a team that could from start to finish um, build That's multiple amazing. houses and multiple buildings. I know everybody's busy doing their own thing. So to get everyone together would be very difficult because people have got their own stuff doing. But mm. if if the opportunity and the funding was available, we actually have enough tradesmen and individuals and personnel to build multiple houses on big plots of land if needs isn't be. Isn't that mad? Isn't yeah, that amazing? It's the aim, isn't it? That's what we need to be aiming towards. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, we can find 
someone who sees the vision or we all just put in ourselves and mm. do it ourselves do you know what I mean yeah wow that's that's testament I mean you were bold and brave to start this in 2016 2017 and then look at where it is now so yeah they in a few years time that will be realized that you know the group or members within the group have started to purchase land and, and build and that's yeah amazing and doing it that I, lo- I love that collaboration because that's really beautiful to see so that's it from us today thank you so much Dan for joining us it's been an absolute pleasure and a real honor to get to hear from you and get to know you a little bit better and thank you to our listeners and join us again next time it's been a pleasure to be here Bye.